the whole concept of this non-coercion is to say that some people really are for coercion. <laughs> like, in other words, I almost wish Betsy DeVos would have said that. You know, we're we're for not forcing anybody, whether it be teachers yeah. or families, from doing anything they don't want to do. Okay, we're the problem is the unions are the ones that. They, are, they actually do want to force and coerce people to go to schools that they don't want to go to if you don't have yep. the money to pay for private school tuition or a higher tutor or whatever else. So they're for coercion and we're not. Welcome to Random Assignment, everybody. I'm Bob Bowden. That's Corey DeAngelis. He's with Reason Foundation. I'm with Choice Media. Thanks for being with us. And uh, yeah, so Corey, what's going on with you, man? How are you? I'm good, man. Just uh, hanging out, looking looking forward all day to our random assignment podcast because it's I know. my it's favorite thing to do each time. week. I know. Um, I know. And it's, um, let me just say, it's, uh, I'm coming from a different location today. It may be shocking, the viewers. I'm actually from my home today. Normally, I'm in my office. I've just decided to omit the two-hour round trip and do it from home today. So uh, if there's a technical problem, that's why. But anyway. Um, well, it looks right, like it's working okay for now. Pardon? It's working okay for now, and your back round looks good. Yeah. You don't have your uh, baseball bat in the back. but No uh, baseball bat, but I have it, a liquor cabinet about three feet from where I'm sitting. So, you know, if things get too dicey. I've got the rye <laughs> over there. Um, said we're we're being far too silly. We have so much news this week. This was it was almost like last week there was a little bit of a deficit of news, and this week I guess with Labor Day looming, we have been exploded with news. So let's get started. So you suggested actually we we had this discussion about what the top story of the week is, and Corey, you thought it might mm -hmm. be all these districts See? with numbers <laughs> yes. showing the exodus. Yeah. Um, so we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, right? And we've been theorizing this for a long time that, you know, uh, people might see that they like homeschooling. Maybe that'll be a reason that they'll leave the public school system this year. Maybe it's just because they're figuring out that the schools aren't reopening. So maybe that will cause them to leave. So we've had all these theories flying around. And then another one was, well, the school reopening plans look weird, even if they are re reopening in person, because the social distancing measures may not be all that uh, um, fun for the students. Uh, so the parents could have been pulling their kids out. So we have new data uh, supporting that theory from a lot of different school districts. And let's uh, share the screen really quickly. One of We've seen a couple of districts in uh, Arizona. Uh, and also here in uh, Fairfax County Public Schools, Virginia, first time I saw this information was from the Choice Media Twitter account, uh, but it looks like a parent or maybe it was Choice Media that sent in. No, we had, yeah, we had a source. All right. uh, it's supply uh, this blacked to us. out. It's blacked uh -huh. out. You can't see it. So, yes, an anonymous source sent a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request to the Fairfax County Public Schools, and they reported that as of August 28th, they've already seen a... Uh, no, a total number of people withdrawing to either private or home schools from the public school system, about 3,055 students. Uh, Fairfax County is a pretty large school district. So that's about, you know, almost 2% of the enrollment. So it's still pretty significant. Uh, no, no you worthy know. on that FOIA request uh, answer, by the way, was courtesy spelled C-U-R-T-E-S-Y. I just thought curtsy. <laughs> Cur curtsy, as a curtsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah and they also... That. 
And they also said the total number of students who have with have withdrawal to instead yes. of saying the total number of students who have withdrawn yes. from the school. Yeah. So, so there were a lot of uh, grammatical and spelling errors you know. and we'll, uh, can't have everything. I, they, anyway, their name is on thousand. there, so let's not call them out too much. But yeah, right. so we saw that it's about almost. I think it's one point six or round that up to two percent. One point six percent. It's one hundred eighty-eight thousand kids in Fairfax. It's a big district, uh, one of the biggest top ten, I think, in the country. But uh, yeah, and everyone makes mistakes, including spelling, including me. Uh, so anyway, just to be be clear on that. But uh, but that's said. All right. But moving on, a lot of other districts too, right? Yeah, a lot of other districts as well. And I want to point out that this number could get bigger, right? A lot of people could, this was just August 28th. So people could start um, realizing that their schools aren't reopening in the way that they want or, or whatever. So this is just uh, uh, a number that could move, but it's a pretty, it's still significant. And then also uh, here in Detroit, Chalkbeat reported that uh, this, a uh, Detroit uh, school district, the public school district officials reported that they haven't been able to reach about 10% of their students uh, to which, for enrollment purposes. Which I tweeted earlier, that's the biggest percentage I've seen in the country. I don't know about you, Corey, but I'm, yep. 10%. I mean, that is, that is, that is an enormous uh, percentage uh, for budgeting purposes, et cetera. Quite frankly, I'm not surprised the number isn't even bigger than that, but I just hadn't seen any numbers <laughs> that big. Yeah, I mean, we've seen bigger numbers, but, but as but not for uh, particular school district enrollments. We've seen bigger numbers when it comes to homeschool filings, but that's not, uh, you know, uh, synonymous with enrollment changes. So yes, I, this is the biggest one I've seen. And here are some of the others uh, as well that we've seen recently. Uh, Chandler Unified Public Schools in Arizona, they reported about 1,656 fewer students enrolled than what they expected. So relative to their projection, that was about three and a half percent lower in Chandler Unified, the second largest school district in Arizona. And we previously reported the biggest school district in Arizona, Mesa Public Schools, reported that their elementary school enrollment was down by about 10 percent. But overall enrollment was was down by about five point six percent. So still not as big as the Detroit. But look, I mean, population typically grows over time. Um so that we're not seeing a growth, that we're seeing any decreases at all is pretty substantial. So we're seeing, yeah, anywhere from one and a half to 10% across all these districts. I did some digging in Dallas public schools and found a similar reduction of about 3.6%. Uh, but I will say since I reported this number, they've they've updated the numbers. And, and as of today, I think it's about a 3% reduction from last year, not a 3.6. But still, um, we're still seeing that persistent reduction. And then most recently today, I think I saw this came out either today or yesterday, but this was a survey from August 20 to 23rd. It was in the field, a national survey done by Civis Analytics. I think it was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but they reported a pretty shocking number here. About 40% of parents uh, of K through 12 students across the United States said that they disenrolled from their children from the school system or the school that they were originally supposed to attend this year because of uh, school reopening plans. So that's a pretty shocking number to me. 40%. That doesn't sound credible though. That, I mean, you're just, we would be seeing districts with numbers that were much higher than we're seeing. I mean, 40% is uh, stunning. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The, the I don't know what the way they phrase the question, you know, when it's a survey, mm -hmm. Corey, sometimes the way you phrase the question, 
implies, in fact, always has a big effect on the number that you get of people answering in the affirmative. So there's yeah. that anyway. So, but whatever and, it is, there it is, 40%. And it could be any type of switch, right? This could be a switch from a private to a public. So you, maybe you were supposed to go to the private school and maybe it was too expensive. So you switched to the public school because it was free. Maybe you switched from a traditional public school to a charter. Uh, it doesn't really say, you know, from oh, where see. to where. So they even point out like, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, of those that disenrolled their children, you know, 27% said that they were going to a public school. It says about a fifth of them, 20% enrolled their children in a, in a private school. But yeah, it doesn't give us very uh, specific information. Something else that I okay. thought was interesting, though, was they said that out of the people who said they disenrolled their children from the school, only 83% said that they would re-enroll their children once it's safe to do so. So that implies a 17%. Uh, kind of long, which is, you know, and in a way that's really what would, that's the big takeaway from all this stuff. It's not simply that, oh, for a few weeks or a few months that COVID <laughs> might change uh, behavior. You know, I mean, I, I guess it's interesting to talk about from a school funding, uh, you know, ephemeral temporary point of view, but, but the real story here is the extent to which COVID changes permanently the education landscape. And that's the last issue to which you referred. And of course, we're we're only at the beginning of getting these real numbers. And I'm sure we'll we'll see a lot more later in terms of, you know, inevitably in terms of what really happens with the uh, with the data. But uh with the numbers yeah. we're seeing so far seem to only be going up and um anyway. Yeah, going up for homeschooling and down for public schooling. And yeah, the last piece of uh, data, I won't bring it up on the screen just to reiterate from last week was that Gallup poll, a uh, nationally representative poll, found a, suggested a seven percentage point reduction in public school enrollment, which would be around three and a half million children. So there's the update on the exodus. It looks like it's happening. Um, but yeah, it's, only time will tell how many people stay out of the school system. All right. So let's talk now about politics, which normally, you know, there's not this much national polit politics, you know, in the Venn diagram intersecting with the school choice world. But what a difference a year makes. So let's start with the Republican convention where school choice uh, came up in not just the speeches we covered last week with from uh, from Tim Scott and from other people who spoke at the convention, but then in the address by President Trump, uh, the issue of school choice came up. And here are those remarks. Biden also vowed to oppose school choice and close all charter schools ripping away the ladder of opportunity for black and Hispanic children. In a second term, I will expand charter schools and provide school choice to every family in America. And we will always treat our teachers with the tremendous respect that they deserve. Great people. These same liberals want to eliminate school choice while they enroll their children in the finest private schools in the land. We will fully restore patriotic education to our schools and always protect. We will always, always protect free speech on college campuses. Okay, so you got some of the new part in that speech, not just the school choice uh, comments that I introduced, mm -hmm. but this new idea about 
indoctrination, which apparently the president is now adding to his school choice messaging. He's now talking about anti-Americanism that is being taught in traditional public schools. Well, it turns out he doubled down on that this week uh, in a press conference at the White House. President Trump went on more about the subject of indoctrination. And that's what this other clip is. We must jail lawbreakers and we must defeat their hateful ideology about this country, about America. We must teach our children that America is an exceptional, free and just nation worth defending, preserving and protecting. And that's what we want to do. They want to destroy our country. They're going to destroy our suburbs. But I think I've gone a long way from allowing that to happen. What we're witnessing today is a result of left-wing indoctrination in our nation's schools and universities. Many young Americans have been fed lies about America being a wicked nation plagued by racism. Indeed, Joe Biden and his party spent their entire convention spreading this hateful and destructive message while refusing to say one word about the violence. They didn't, dis didn't even discuss law enforcement, the police. The only path to unity is to rebuild a shared national identity focused on common American values and virtues, of which we have plenty. This includes restoring patriotic education in our nation's schools, where they're trying to change everything that we've learned. What we've learned, in fact, what most of you have learned, they want to change it. They want to change it for whatever reason. So, Corey, I want to have I want to have for the public the conversation you and I kind of had quietly uh, texting earlier yeah. <laughs> when I was referring to this indoctrination as kind of a new messaging point for the administration. And you said they need to be careful with this yeah. messaging of indoctrination. Tell us why. Yeah, I mean, it could backfire where people say, well, now you're just indoctrinating with your values instead of our values over here. So maybe there's going to be conservative indoctrination happening in the schools. But that so that's why I think you should focus more on the school choice message, because it takes care of indoctrination itself. If he, So if he's talking about like indoctrination in schools and that's why we need school choice, I'm totally cool with that. And I think that's fine for him to to include that in his messaging. But if he's talking more about some type of federal intervention saying that we have to have like certain curriculums in the school, I, I don't want the federal government involved with that at all. So I, I just don't want it to backfire in that way. But I, I think it is a powerful messaging tool as a reason for school choice. And, um, you know, uh, and I think you agree with this as well, that we don't want any type of child to be stuck in a public school that's, you know, that where their parents are feeling like there's indoctrination going on, whether that's on the right or, or, or too far to the left. Oh, that's right. Well, well, the way, what I would say to that is that, uh, is that I, first of all, I think it should probably just a bully pulpit issue. I don't see anything on the horizon about we're going to create a national curriculum about conservative values that all public schools must have. I don't, I don't, I just, I'm not going to think until let's, we can discuss that once that happens. I haven't seen that. But I think that if he phrased it a little differently, it might you might not share that objection. If he just said that anti-Americanism is being taught in traditional public schools and we should stop using public schools to teach anti-Americanism, I think that message is kind of what he really is getting at. And I think would also be hard for the Democrats to oppose, you know, if they if they care at all about the middle of the electorate, in other words. Um, and I think it would actually resonate with some voters, too, who really, I mean, we see it all the time. There are examples in public schools where, you know, we have teachers with Black Lives Matter uh, 
you know, paraphernalia on their Zoom walls when they're talking to kids and all kinds of stuff like that. So, you know, and then you look at what's on the website for Black Lives Matter. It's a lot more than just the phrase, the Black Lives Matter. It's a lot of political leftist ideology. I, I think if he if he just phrased it uh, as, as we are tired of the anti-Americanism, that to me is what they really are trying to say and, and what they should say. Yeah, I think that would be a little better, and especially if it's just a bully pulpit issue. Um, I think that's that's fine. Um, okay. I'm just I'm just skeptical of any federal intervention, and yeah, it doesn't look like there's any proposals to do anything like that. So I was right. just interested. I mean, we talked about this on the show like a week or two ago when he came out with his second year, um, you know, kind of uh, his second term uh, agenda, and on education, it was just two things. One was school choice. And the second thing was like American exceptionalism or something. But I think all he needs is the school choice thing because it takes care of the uh, it takes care of the indoctrination itself. All right. Well, to be clear, we have uh, uh, Joe Biden clips later in the show. We didn't want to slam it all together at once. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll get to Joe Biden. He had a press conference today and we have clips from that later in our random assignment show. Yeah. So we had a, a group that signed that that formed a coalition coalition that signed a letter uh, from, I think, over 55 groups to fund students instead of institutions. They, they changed my, uh, my, uh, my saying of funding students instead of uh, systems to funding they had the families gall, instead of they institutions. Had the they should have used systems. <laughs> How no, dare they? This, I mean, this is a huge letter. I think it's sent to Congress, right? Um, and it essentially just says, you know, if you're going to do any more funding um, at the federal level, to uh, you know, any more stimulus funding or any other uh, injections of federal dollars that should go to the, the students and not the institutions. So several uh, organizations on this, you see Ed Choice Reason Foundation is, is on it as well, American Federation for Children, tons of others. And if you want uh, to, to sign the letter um, yourself as an individual, you can go to this button on the website, sign the letter to Congress. But that's the main idea here. And it's really showing that uh, the idea of school choice is getting a lot of political steam right now. And uh, there's a ton, there's a just huge momentum, especially with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic to have the dollars go to the uh, straight to the family so that they can uh, get back on track this uh, this year. I mean, I, it's, it's an open question how much these kinds of things do, these oh, it's letters that are signed and stuff. And, you know, I, I, I guess it gets publicity. We're talking about it. You know, of course, it's pretty niche to us. But, um, you know, I'm certainly for the idea. But, uh, you know, I, I see I see this done on the left all the time. I think people disregard that, too. But anyway, um, OK, so let's yeah, move but, on. So, but it got go shared on Twitter everywhere. So, you know, that means everybody cares about it, right? <laughs> Generally, these things are shared by the people who already agree with the yeah, sentiment. Yeah. You never know. It reaches, I guess, some other people. Um, all right. So we found some, uh, an article that seemed pretty shocking. It's about uh, education apps and the degree to which they're sending location data and personal information to advertisers, this is, uh, say here, I like the, the secondary headline, it's a back to school sale on your data. <laughs> and so, you know, just covering the, the basic headline here, researchers from something called the International Digital Accountability Council. Wow, that's, uh, that's the IDAC, I guess. Wow, it looked at uh, 
496 education apps across 22 countries and found privacy issues with many of these uh, services. Several apps were providing location data to third-party advertisers, also collected uh, device identifiers that uh, can't be reset uh, if you buy, unless you buy a new phone. You actually load this once onto your phone and you can't even reset it. Now, again, this is not specific to the U.S. It's talking about 22 countries, but it's still some alarming stuff. They also said researchers found 79 out of 123 apps. So I guess that's a pretty big percentage, maybe uh, two-thirds or so. Uh, we're sharing the data, user data with third parties. Two-thirds of the education apps sharing user data with third parties. The data going to advertisers could include your name, your email address, your location data, device ID. The study also found that more than 140 third-party companies were getting data from ed tech apps, the majority of which were uh, went to Facebook followed by Google. So these, you know, gee, how, how could I, they do anything wrong, uh, Facebook and Google? Uh, at any rate, so it's not so much of a, uh, you know, it's it's almost the modern world we live in, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm becoming increasingly interested in privacy. You know, I've had these kind of cliche conversations. I suspect you have too, Corey, about like, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, what do you care if you have no privacy? What well, <laughs> what's wrong with everybody knowing? What are you doing something so illegal that you're worried about? Yeah, your who privacy? cares that the who cares that the cops come into your house if you don't have any drugs in your house? You shouldn't have anything to worry about. Right. And so it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of philosophical conversation to have, and you know our. Uh, at some point about, uh, well, there are reasons, even if you're not doing something wrong. Maybe you used to do something that, you, maybe you're just doing something that you're embarrassed about that's not illegal per se, but maybe you don't want your your kids to know something about your life or your relatives or your spouse. <laughs> I don't know. There are things that maybe we even used to do that we don't do anymore that would still cause us problems in life if they became known and whatever, that's my, kind of my general stance on privacy. But where do you stand on this? Yeah, my yeah, my take on the, all this stuff is that if it's you know a voluntary transaction, I don't have all that much to worry about. I, I mean, you can get into the conversation about how voluntary this is if everybody's doing it, and if you don't even know that your information's being shared. But um, I think for the most part, it's you know if you want to use the app, and that's kind of what comes along with the app. Um, I think it's okay. And I think, you know, right to privacy is mostly has to do with a right to privacy from the government, not so much from private, uh, actors. So I don't, I usually don't have much of a problem with this. And, and especially if you start thinking about like, what are the repercussions and, and what, what are the unintended consequences of making something like this illegal, you know, <laughs> Uh, maybe well, the apps won't be available as much because they won't have the revenues coming in from this kind of uh, the data kind of. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, it was about eight, nine years ago. I, I discovered through a source and then I but I was the one that, that broke it was that um, was that Google through schools was uh, having this art program where you'd, you'd have uh, elementary school kids design a Google logo. It was part of some sort of Google art exercise in schools. Well, to fill out, to, to, to be part of the contest, to see if you got to be the winning logo designer and you were a little third or fourth grade kid, you would fill out and include your social security number along with your name, a number that will follow you your entire life, that they were, Google was literally collecting of these little kids and it was done in public schools. That's and, the problem. I think that's uh, yeah. yeah. So it was a. It, I mean, 
It was a pretty big, I mean, that's the kind of thing you could say like, well, if it's private industry, if it's not the government, who cares? Eh, what if it's a little kid who doesn't even know they're disclosing well, information? Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's what I was going to say, that the main issue I would have with it is if you have a public school that you're compelled to go to and pay for through property taxes, and then they say, oh, well, we're doing this remote learning thing. And by the way, you're going to use this app. Yeah. And uh, so that I would have an issue with that. And then my obvious no policy solution would be, well, allow for school choice so that you can vote with your feet away from schools that have those policies yeah. that, you, that you don't like. So yeah. that, yeah, I mean, right. that's, that, that's uh, where I'd have. I've belabored this long enough. Okay. Let's move on to North Carolina, Corey. Yeah. A, a couple of things going on there. I mean, it's, a, let's, yeah. I know most of our listeners and viewers don't live in North Carolina, but wow, this is kind of an interesting uh, case uh, study. North Carolina governor um, put his budget proposal out and one of his most specific proposals in there, you'll see it here in this budget line item that he calls to cancel out the opportunity scholarship program uh, uh, money that would, that would go to families to attend private schools. So this is a current program that's on the books there. He, this would essentially uh, allow existing it's school vouchers. Yeah. It's yeah. Allow existing not students to use it, but any future students would not be allowed to use it. So I called him out on his hypocrisy here. He sent his children to public, uh, to private school, or at least one of his children to private schools. And uh, look, why, why can't, why, why is he fighting against allowing others to do so? Um, so that, that's, that came out in the budget. He's on the hypocrisy map. You also have the teachers' unions going after the same program through the courts in North Carolina. And then also, on the other hand, you have the Republican lawmakers just introduced legislation that would expand school choice. The same program they called to increase the, uh, the, the income threshold from about 133% of the free or reduced lunch uh, funding amount to about 150%. So this would allow for more families to be able to access the program. I think they also called for uh, expanding the enrollment cap at the two virtual charter schools in the state, which currently there's a ridiculous enrollment cap of around 2,600 students at each virtual charter school in North Carolina. Whereas on the other hand, you have thousands and thousands of kids um, attending virtual programs in the traditional public school system um, in North Carolina, which I will say also, uh, in 2019, the legislature, the Senate and the House overwhelmingly voted to expand the cap on the virtual charter schools in North Carolina, but Governor Cooper uh, vetoed that uh, that bill in 2019. And now you're stuck in a situation where families aren't able to access the virtual charter schools, whereas if you would have just not vetoed, vetoed that last year, families wouldn't be in the, the same situation this year. And also yeah, the tuition that, assistance for this program is, is up to $4,200 per year, $4,200. That, that is what, I mean, what a savings for the taxpayer that a family chooses to take only $4,200 and remove their kid from the public school, spending far less than they would have in the traditional public school. If, if, the, if the families like it and it's better for the taxpayer, you've got to say, why would anyone be against this thing? But I pose that as a rhetorical question, Corey, because we know why some politicians are against this guy. Uh, uh, well, you got to protect the monopoly because the monopoly is more important than the individual students, obviously, Bob. But yeah, you're right. Uh, the, the funding for this program is only 44% of what they would have spent in the traditional public schools. So why are so many low-income families choosing to get less than half of their children's educational resources um, and, and, and losing the other, the other uh, you know, 50, 56% 
and keeping right, it in right. the public school system. It's because yeah. the, these schools are, are serving their needs better for uh, less than half the cost. But yeah, that's what's going on in North Carolina. And other than that, I think this this bill has some other things in it, such as uh, giving some of the, the, the federal stimulus funding directly to families. I think it would be about $350 per family uh, with, with, with if you have children, obviously. But uh, I, hate, I hate for us to spend too much time on like when, when there's a warring and bickering back and forth in one state about will it be that's this, the future be this policy or will the future be that policy? It's like, okay, why don't you guys figure it out? And then we'll get back to us. But that said, it is interesting to see the two sides are lining up in a state like North Carolina. You know, and, and now of all times, the pod, the pandemic time when so many families need different options for whether their kids are special needs, whether their kids are otherwise traumatized from, you know, either not going to school or they desperately do need to go to school or whatever the thing is uh, to, to use now as a time to reduce options that the governor, the governor Roy Cooper of uh, North Carolina is, is, Choosing this moment to basically reduce choice seems to be pretty odd. But anyway, but let's move on. Um, so Betsy DeVos uh, had a special. I've never seen her do this before. Maybe <laughs> I'm wrong. Someone can like write and say like, Bob, you're wrong. But she actually just they released a video message. All it was is basically a message to families on video of Betsy DeVos talking directly to the families about school reopening policies, about what the administration, including Betsy DeVos, what they're for regarding school openings. And so here's a segment of her comments on that video. Let me clear up at least one thing right now. No one is suggesting that every single child must be behind a desk in a classroom full time or that health realities on the ground won't cause temporary disruptions. We do, however, believe that as a rule, Schools must be open for in-person learning as an option for families who want or need it. More broadly, we believe families need more options than ever to find the right fit. If you want or need to send your child to school in person, we support you. If virtual learning is the best for your family, we support you. If you want to attend a school other than your government-assigned public school, we support you. President Trump and I support Senator Tim Scott's Bipartisan School Choice Now Act, which would provide scholarships to families to choose the best educational setting for their child. And teachers, if you want to teach in person, we support you too. If your health requires you to teach virtually, we support you. At the end of the day, we want everyone to have the choices to make the best decision for themselves. Each of you needs to be able to choose what's best for your own families because you know your children and their circumstance better than anyone. And so I found this interesting. It's the non-coercion message she's giving there, Corey. Yes. And so she's saying, I don't, I, not, I support the families from having, you can choose online, you can choose in-person, you can choose charter, you can choose private, whatever's best for you, you choose that. And by the way, teachers, if you're too sick or you have a health condition, you, you can't work, we support you. And if you're a teacher who does want to go back to work, we support you too. We support everybody. We don't want to make anybody do anything, okay? So the problem is, is that, in fact, President Trump, by the way, in that convention speech we saw earlier, also mentioned we we love the teachers. He said, he said something like teachers are great people or something. That's good messaging for both of them to include support for teachers, right? Uh, but... The whole concept of this non-coercion is to say that some people really are for coercion. I mean, like, 
In other words, I almost wish Betsy DeVos would have said that. You know, we're we're for not forcing anybody, whether it be teachers yeah. or families, from doing anything they don't want to do. Okay, we're the problem is the unions are the ones that do want to force families. You can see I'm pounding the table. It's my Khrushchev moment again. They are they actually do want to force and coerce people to go to schools that they don't want to go to. If you don't have yeah. the money to pay for private school tuition or a higher tutor or whatever else. So therefore, coercion, and we're not. And I, I almost feel like the, it, that could have brought home the concept a little more broadly, because that's ultimately at the end of the day. This that's what this is about, and I know that's what you that's what you care about most deeply, Corey. The idea of don't force anybody to do anything, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that one side is for forcing, and the other side isn't. Yeah, she could have really drove that home, right? Uh, it was a missed opportunity, but at the same time, she doesn't want to. I think she just doesn't want to come out and attack. The unions and stuff and she just wanted to be a super friendly i mean i think that's just kind of how devos uh she was bathed in that warmth of that devos sort of uh wholesome tone that you know arguably that she sometimes embraces to a fault <laughs> yeah uh, um, but but i do like i mean i've kind of noticed a little bit of a shift right like before i think maybe a few weeks ago at least some of the conversations from the administration were something along the lines of, you know, we got to get all the schools open. Now she's saying, doesn't matter. I mean, she's always said like, let families decide, but she's making it even clearer now that, you know, the, the you know, if you want virtual, she's still saying the school should be open. Yeah. She's still saying the school should, she's saying though, that if, if you don't want to teach and there's nothing wrong with you health-wise, I think what she's saying is if your choice is not to help us open the school and we need an open school because families need that choice, get another job. Then just quit your job. You have, in fact, it's not that you're being fired. It's that you are, you are quitting your job. If you say, yeah. I will not go to that building when we, the building has to be open so families will have as an option. And you're, I'm a teacher. I'm like, well, I choose not to go to that job, which is my job right now. I think what she's saying is then you're quitting. You've quit your job. Yeah, but you have the choice to do that, right? And we're not going to force you to go to work if you don't want to go to work. Yeah, and well, she just said it in a really job. nice You can way. quit. Yes, you can quit. They, oh, there's too many teachers, though, that want to say, no, I want to be paid and not do the job. Like they, that, that, that's, this is the key thing. The key that's, thing is that's, to, if you're going to have school buildings open to allow families to have the option we just celebrated, then you're going to have to make some people go to that building. And if no one wants to go to that building, then you got to fire them and find people who do. Isn't that right? Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's about right. And, you know, if you don't have school choice, you know, I'm kind of, erring on the side of, well, the school should be open then, and then people have should have choice to, to go or not. I think that's kind of what she's saying. But, you know, if if we do have school choice, though, I really don't give a, give a day, you know, what the schools choose. You know, if, if you if you choose to not reopen in person, I think that's fine, but only if you have school choice, right? That if, oh, yeah. You know, well, that's you, you're skipping, you don't reopen, you're skipping then, down the, yeah. Yeah, but we don't, we don't have, have that yet. You're that's skipping ahead. Exactly. You're skipping ahead. There. Sorry, but the, you said something prophetic. You said, I was just talking about how Betsy DeVos is so often bathed in that warm, almost grandmotherly-like uh, tone where, you know, she's not going to be too strident and attacking of anybody. That might have kind of changed, actually, this week. And that's in the next clip we're about to see. Uh-oh, what she got? 
All right. <laughs> Joe Biden probably doesn't remember it, but in 1997, he gave an impassioned speech on the Senate floor in favor of school choice. Today, he's turned his back on the kids that we're talking about, and he's turned his face in favor of the teachers union mm -hmm. and what they have to say and what they have to demand. Whoa, drop the mic. Go DeVos. Like, isn't that a different Betsy DeVos than we've heard? Oh, yes. Today, in my opinion, that's a different one. First of all, she starts off by saying, Joe Biden probably doesn't remember it. I mean, like, first of all, I mean, and uh, I, 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 anyway, I can only think what brilliant author might Secretary DeVos have been reading last year hmm. when she says maybe Joe Biden doesn't remember it. What... Uh, forward-thinking mm. uh, visionary might mm. she be citing? Yeah, who at one point, who, you know, when she says Joe Biden might not remember it. No, maybe this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> look at this. Does Joe Biden remember? Who wrote that? <laughs> oh, look at that. That was from oh, 2018. And that was, uh, we were doing digging on Biden. This was long before we had the nomination, of course, before oh, any primaries. And yeah, we uh, we were doing digging on. Gee, I wonder what he's had a long Senate career. I wonder what he's ever said on the subject of school choice before. Turns out, just like she to which she alluded a second ago, a 2017 uh, speech from the Senate floor, and he uh, he poses that question. The question is, um, is it not possible that giving poor kids a way out will force the public schools to improve? Now, as oh. I pointed out in the piece in the piece I wrote later on, he does say. <clears throat> He does say, I don't know the answer to that question, but we should at least be asking that question or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, it's almost like a little bit of a waste of time. Like, hey, Senator, why don't you figure out what you think before you go to the Senate floor and just walk around and pose questions that you declare you don't know the answers to. But anyway. It was, feeling, it was feeling the water, you know, like, yes, it's a good question to ask. And, you know, it's it's kind of, you yeah. know. Right. Of course, it'll you know cause them to improve. Let's see what other people think about it. He's kind yeah. of playing both sides. Tri trial balloonish. You're trying to say. You're trying to say. Yeah. I. Uh, I mean. I guess. I guess. Whatever. Maybe if I were a senator, I'd have some days where I'd openly ask you know tribal and questions too. I don't know. But the point is, is that uh, is that uh, I think Betsy DeVos did slightly mischaracterize what Joe Biden actually said. She said he gave an impassioned speech supporting school choice mm. in 1997. Meh. I don't know if it was quite that, but he did pose a question of, is it not possible that that public schools, traditional schools would improve if we had, uh, if the families had a way to leave? So anyway, that's clearly different from the narrative that he then adopted uh, in his, I guess, third presidential run uh, when he, uh, you know, was saying this uh, Betsy DeVos notion of charter schools is gone, you know, with the gone, whatever. It certainly did change uh, his tune in, but uh but anyway, oh, so Joe, Joe Biden went to private schools himself and uh, sent his children to private schools. So why can't other people send their children to private schools? Why is he calling to get rid of the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship Program for low-income students in the D in the District of Columbia? Well, at least Barack Obama sent his kids didn't send his kids to private school and call for the elimination of the D.C. voucher. Hmm. Oh wait, actually he wait, did. Wait, wait, actually yes, it's his girlfriend's right. Yeah, right. Well, at least someone like. Diane Ravage didn't send her kid to private yeah, school true. and didn't oppose. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait. Yeah, actually, she did. <laughs> but it's okay. Right. For, it's okay for her to do that, right? Because because according, right. according to a news source uh, interview with a professor with uh, Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation for Teachers, 
asked this researcher about the research and what it says about school choice. So maybe this is why it's okay for Diane Ravitch to pick schools and Biden to pick schools, but not other students. Let's check out this clip. That our leaders are taking this opportunity to undermine our public schools so drastically with, this is why we need choice, right? You know, choice is hardly a new idea. And the research out there is pretty clear that it's worked okay for affluent parents and pretty poorly for everybody else. Okay, but that wasn't Randy Weingarten talking. That was some this, other lady. Randy Weingarten was interviewing uh, a professor at the University of North Dakota, oh, okay. UND. She has a book uh, that they were talking about, about uh, blaming teachers. Um, but they, they talked a little bit about okay. school choice. And so her, her quote is that the research is clear. School choice is good for rich people, affluent people, but... Oh. Not it's 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 not for for everybody else. Oh, okay. I mean, you can inter- you can think about what what they, she means by that, but uh, there's there's two interpretations for this. Right? Okay, one one is well, the smart people can pick, and you know they uh, they do a good job. Obviously, they they can they can choose well, and you know the, everybody else, you know, they, they just can't figure it out and they can't pick good schools, which is the, the paternalistic kind of uh, theory. But then okay. the other one could be. Well, it's good if you, you know, um, if you can, if you take advantage of the program and you use the program, but the kids who are left behind in the public schools might be worse for them. The problem there is that is completely backwards. I don't think that's what what she was saying. I don't think she was saying it's the left behind kids. I think she's saying choice itself doesn't work unless you're affluent. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the chair. I mean, that's the most charitable interpretation I could come up with and try to (laughs) try to help her out and as much, as much as possible. But but then in that, in that, if if that's her argument, which I I think you're right, it's probably not. The research isn't clear that the students left behind are worse. The, The research is pretty overwhelmingly positive that competitive pressures lead to the better outcomes in the public schools. Yeah. Made a made analysis in educational policy and education journal uh, in 2019 uh, peer reviewed study uh, analyzed all of the evidence on this. I think there's about uh, 28 studies on this, uh, and they find overall that uh, the kids left behind in the public schools actually do better. So and as as you guys, we mentioned in the cartel documentary some 10 years ago that sometimes a cr- school just becoming smaller makes it better. So you actually have kids leave. They get to some sort of voucher or savings account program. They leave for private schools. The traditional public school is smaller and it's actually suddenly more manageable than it was before. And that alone can have a positive effect. Now, if you ask most unions, they'll say, oh, no, we have to always, you know, we have to always be bigger and bigger because of economies of scale. They will constantly use the economies of scale argument to say we must always be larger. But then if you ask them about, oh, well, then maybe we should merge your district with the next district over because you just argue that economies of scale are such that larger is always better. Suddenly they flip and be like, oh, wait, wait, no, no, we, we shouldn't have a merger. No, that will get rid of redundant administration jobs. When we said the, the stuff about larger is better, that's that's different. That's not doesn't you know it stops being I mean, it, if you deal if, with mer- if, talk if, about merging. If it yeah. is, then why are people voluntarily select you know, if if economies of scale are so important, then why are people uh switching through voucher programs with a lot less money to smaller schools? Yes. It's probably because the yes. economies of scale are that that yeah, argument is yeah. there. Why are these crazy parents actually preferring smaller schools with less money? If the economies people scale. know that bigger is better, a bigger district is always better, right? Because of economies of scale. So anyway, so there's a lot of hypocrisies when it comes to that stuff. 
Um, all right. I, so speaking I think of you, I think you had a tweet ahead. response to when the American Federation for Teachers. First of all, they got her her quote completely wrong. They said it doesn't work well for others, but she actually said everybody else. And then she said other. They just like they said it doesn't work others others or something and they got they botched the quote got it completely wrong and i think you said something along the lines of uh you know of course it doesn't work if you don't have the money to be able to choose a school that's why we need school choice in the first place yeah yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. she's like oh it, the choice doesn't work for poor people i'm like yeah well, like, they don't have vouchers. Work, you can't afford the choice then that's yeah. great it's not working you're actually not benefiting from choice good point you don't have the money to do it so and they the give programs the money. Are- okay i guess it's a good argument for school choice but they don't want that right either. <laughs> right. All right. So anyway, so so we've done a lot of politics. Let's do some more. Uh, as we mentioned before, we had the the but the Trump quotes and the Betsy DeVos quotes. Equal time now for Joe Biden. And tell me, I probably literally almost is equal time because this is a long clip. But I really kind of I had like a Zen like experience watching this clip just to almost zone into Joe Biden's speaking style. Of course, he's reading the whole time, and uh-huh. part of it is I uh, yes, a former professional prompter reader myself. I'm kind of attuned to this particular niche skill set as something of interest. But anyway, uh, Joe Biden really is focusing on money. He gave a, a it was today. He gave a press conference about school reopening and what needs to happen. And you're about to see him talking about like the first 20 things on the list of how many things need to happen for schools to reopen are money, 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 money. So here's Joe Biden. Money's magic. I'd be working with the leaders of Congress now, today, to pass emergency packages for schools so they have the resources they need in order to be able to open safely. Money for ventilation. I heard that a lot when I had all those healthcare worker, those healthcare experts up on the up on the Zoom. Money for ventilation and other health measures, but also more money to hire more teachers. Every recommendation we got was they're going to be, they should be dividing into pods, smaller classes. Smaller classes mean more educators are needed. Keeping classes socially distanced, small. Money for more psychologists and counselors. I introduced legislation a long time ago calling for, I introduced, I proposed legislation a long time ago. We have one one school psychologist every 1,507 children in school. And the health care, the mental health that our children need now, the anxiety they're feeling at home and going to school, not being able to go to school. The nation's superintendents of schools have estimated that they'll need at least $200 billion to support K through 12 schools throughout the year for safe reopening. And we need the money to hire educators as well of our four, as for our four-year colleges and universities, for community colleges, for HBCUs, for minority-serving institutions. Democratic leaders are ready to get this done. They've already proposed us legislation. Mr. President, where are you? Where are you? Why aren't you working on this? We need emergency support funding for our schools, and we need it now. Mr. President, that's your job. That's your job. That's what you should be focused on now, getting our kids back to school safely, keeping schools safely able to remain open once they stay open. 
safely much, able to remain open once they stay open. Did he say um, $200 anyway. uh, You know, and plus they already had, okay, that's your job, Mr. President? Why? Because education's in the Constitution so many I, times, I, right? That's why it's his job. It. I mean, anyway, but Corey, people may say you and I are hypocrites because here we are making fun of Biden saying money, money, money. And all you and I do is say, oh, private school choice programs need to be funded. And I hold up a sign saying yeah, fully oh, yeah, funded school sign? choice. So maybe we are saying money, money, money all the time, Corey. Are we, where, are we hypocrites? No, we're saying money that already exists in the system. And we're saying to allocate it from institutions to families where it actually matters. Oh. Um, you know, he's Biden and the other side argues to just dump more money into the system, even though that isn't going to change anything. I mean, what did you think about that clip? I was, uh, you know... Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. He, it's almost like, was it written by the union? It, it's almost like, you'd almost think you'd think Biden would benefit politically from just a kabuki theater of opposing the union on something, some yeah. sort of at least fake attempt to distance himself from everything the union wants. I'm not even saying that. It seems as if it's literally just, you know, they printed out the union website and they're just reading <laughs> AFT and the NEA. But, uh, you know, yeah, he's just like, like, yeah, we need money and we meet, we need it now. Um, yeah. Well, well, families need money and they need it now uh, because the right. schools aren't opening. So let them go somewhere else. Because his former boss, Barack Obama, did just what I'm saying. He at least had some talking points about charter schools that are good, should be supported. Like, where is that in Biden's even even that even, you know, Cory Booker said that on the Democrat debate stage. Biden's not even willing to say anything like that, anything remotely not straight out of the, you know, the union. Does, does he say anything? Has he said in this, um, in the past few months, anything positive about charters? It's all, it's only been, I don't like, you know, the types that I don't like, I don't like the for-profit charters, you know, the, 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 the uh, Sanders um, Biden unity task force was calling to get rid of the DC voucher program and talked about opposing. Not, not even a word about teacher accountability, even a vague undefined phrase. Even the union sometimes says vague things about teacher accountability that are never actually implemented in any tangible way. Biden won't even say that. So anyway, so that's kind of my little rant on that. Yep. Okay. Let's see. Chicago. I think that's next. Up I on love the this list. one because we, this we is nuts, out man. This, uh, this tweet, the Chicago teachers union had a tweet, which I was stunned by and then before i knew you had figured out they deleted their own tweet didn't you they actually uh took forever to delete it they didn't delete it until i didn't see it until today but here here it is um chicago teachers union blasted for completely supporting guillotine protests so someone shared a video um of you know making a like a, a guillotine uh and i think it was in what was it in, D in dc dc protests and um I'm trying to find, so like, you can't even, yeah, if you, like, try to go to their tweet. No, 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 but the not link here. I sent, not the here link, yeah, that's not available. It's been deleted. But the link I sent you in our rundown actually has, it's a gatewaypundit.com source, which screen grabbed that original tweet from the oh, Chicago like, Well, you know what? You know what? I have it here. I, I uploaded it. Um, okay. I, yeah, I didn't know that the other thing had it. But, yeah, check it you out. got it. So this That's guy, uh, Nick, I think he might be at the Washington Examiner, showed this video of the protesters making the guillotine. And this is the official account of the Chicago Teachers Union. And they said, we are- Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. But yeah, 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 I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you. 
let's start with the fact of what this is. Protesters building a guillotine <laughs> outside of Jeff Bezos's house, suggesting the killing, the death of Jeff, Jeff Bezos, yep. right? I mean, I'm not a huge yep. Jeff Bezos fan. I'm not yep. a huge, you know, Amazon fan. But this is a public presentation about a murder. I don't know what yeah, else you pretty call. much. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can say it's like, you can say it's just theater or whatever, but yeah, it's pretty morbid. Um, and I mean, their response was just absolutely uncalled for. And they said, we're completely frightened by, completely impressed by, and completely in support of wherever this is headed. I guess did they think that was funny because they used the word headed. Like, get it? Uh, oh, I didn't even occur to the, me. Because of the guillotine, maybe they thought it was funny. But they, they got roasted and dragged for the past week on Twitter. Um, so many replies uh, just saying, oh, my God, this is the real uh, you know, uh, account associated with the Chicago Teachers Union. And every couple of days, I would quote tweet them and say, I can't believe it's been 48 hours. They haven't, they haven't deleted this tweet yet. And then just, I didn't see it until today that the tweet has been deleted finally. Um, but it took them long enough. It took them almost a week to do, to do I it. I mean, the analogies to the French Revolution as perhaps coming to America, this is, you know, have been around. I've been hearing this more and more. The, the, the description generally that chaos doesn't lead anywhere good. That it, it, once you start, you know, having mob rule, and, and there are places in America that have seen that, you know, over the past several months, really, not just weeks, uh, you know, and the French Revolution references have become quite tangible here. And the fact that the, that the Chicago Teachers Union says they're completely in support of wherever this is headed, uh, on a monument to wherever. the killing of a particular man, they say they are completely in support of wherever this is heading, the monument of killing him. That's what the, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it. Well, and there's a there's another kind of a twist to this the to this plot. Um, someone posted their pension fund. Did you see this? Their, uh, you know what what what's included in their pension fund? I'm trying to uh, find the actual uh, state. Anyway, um, they they their pension fund, their second largest domestic uh, stock that they hold is Amazon. And oh, so people were like, "Oh God, that, that is kind of." That is kind of funny. I think it yeah. was like forty-five, over forty-five thousand shares of Amazon in their pension fund. I think it was just millions and millions of dollars yeah. invested in Amazon. And here you go, them supporting the 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 guillotine you know, ritual outside of uh, Jeff Bezos's house. At the risk of making an analogy, if Amazon behaved like certain social media companies that block people who say things they don't like. If Amazon behaved like certain social media companies, Facebook and Twitter, that block people who say things they don't like, Amazon would stop delivering to the Chicago Teachers Union. There'd be no more packages delivered to the Chicago Teachers Union members. There'd be nothing. You couldn't order anything. Their Amazon Prime movies would disappear from their TV sets, right? How come they can't be canceled? Uh, like like all the social media people do, you know, for, for that. Anyway, but I, not that I'm in support of that, but um, anyway. Um, yeah, I mean this, right. this, but this went this went nuts, and yeah, they they it just they just recently took it down up uh, today. I, they, I think. they finally deleted it. Finally deleted their celebration of at least the theoretical murder of a particular man. They finally thought, oh, maybe we shouldn't be completely in support of wherever this is headed. Anyway, that drives me crazy. It's just so beyond the pale. I mean, uh, 
All right. Um, well, we're going to wrap up with something kind of fun, which is that, so there was, there was a, a series, a comedy series, uh, Judd Apatow HBO comedy series called Crashing on HBO. This is one of those, you know, sometimes people like binge watch an entire thing. In my case, I watched like the first two seasons and I kind of dropped off, like whatever reason, back when it was, you know, 2018, I guess, when Crashing on HBO was kind of rolling and, and, and make, you know, releasing new episodes. Whatever reason, I just stopped. And then like, more recently, I'm kind of like getting back to, ah, maybe I should watch some more Crashing on HBO. I'm watching. Guess what? It turns out that uh, even though the series has not aired new episodes since March of 2019, they had an episode where the lead character, uh, uh, Pete Holmes, actually predicted the whole homeschooling pod trend that we're seeing now it's like it's a, kind of amazing when you hear it have you seen this clip yet Corey? nope haven't seen it oh good i was hoping Check you would get to see it fresh all right so anyway so this is this is more than a year ago no one was doing talking much about any of these homeschooling pods and yet this was in the script of an hbo show i do i have a tv idea <laughs> tell me it's about a guy who has kids, but the public schools stick. So uh -huh. he pulls them out and he starts teaching them in his garage. But he's really good at it, right? Mm -hmm. So word gets out and other neighborhood kids start coming to his school in his garage. And that's like, that's the pilot, I guess. I've written like an outline. Holmes schooled. No, micro school. Homeschool. Because <laughs> his name, last name is Holmes, even in, uh, the, you know, in real life and in the I thing. thought she was saying but, Holmes, like more than one home. Oh, I see. Holmes. He's Pete Holmes. Yeah, H-O-L-M-E-S. But the, the part that I tweeted out about that I thought was interesting, Corey, is this, just that it you can write in a HBO script, something as mainstream as HBO, you can write a line where one character says, the public schools stink. And the other character, you don't even have to elaborate. The other character doesn't say, what do you mean? Or like, what? Or needs explanation. The other, the other character, it's so understandable <laughs> by the culture at large, no further elaborate elaborations required. He just says, public schools stink. And she's like, <laughs> okay, keep Go going. On. Yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I... Anyway, I just kind of thought once once the culture, once something becomes kind of uh, so obvious to the culture that you need no elaboration for a mainstream audience to understand what you're saying, that's a marker of something. Yeah, maybe they'll uh, they'll do a a documentary on Prenda Microschools. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, folks, you have uh, squandered yet another hour of your time with the Random Assignment podcast and live stream. And thank you for that. Please uh, share it on your social media before, unless, before we get canceled. You can share it on your social media uh, as to your heart's content. And we very much appreciate that. And thanks for watching. <laughs>